0: I shot stuff at a pretty feverish pace for about five years like probably shot more than most people shoot in their lives as photographers in those five years and then in the last year it's really it's really tapered off and at first you know you you get down on yourself you're like well I'm not I'm not producing anymore I'm not I'm not going out and shooting very much I don't find it you know I'm not as motivated to do it and you get down on yourself and I think that's all part of the process too is just weathering that storm realizing that like you're going to have times where you're more inspired and less inspired and like there are no artists in the world that are just that have like an endless, you know, fire hose of inspiration 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. It's not realistic even if that's what it looks like on Instagram.
1: On this week's episode of The Contact Sheet, we're chatting with Chris Malloy. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode. And this week I'm sitting down with photographer Chris Malloy. Uh, a lot of you may be familiar with Chris's amazing night images that he posts on Instagram. Uh, his work has really kind of always stood out to me uh, because of this creative use of available light, uh, as well as his interest in using all sorts of different cameras and film stocks, including expired film. So in this episode, we chat about Chris's transition into the world of film. Doing photography as a hobby instead of a career, not setting limits on creativity, shooting with expired film, the techniques and difficulties of shooting film at night, and the importance of taking a break. This was a really great conversation, and I feel like there's a lot of value in it for you folks, so I hope you all enjoy it. Let's jump into it. People are going to know or be familiar with your work, but I think a good place to start is just if you can give a little bit of an introduction about um, the work that you do.
0: Um, okay, well, my name is Chris Malloy, and uh, I've been a—I don't know—I kind of go back and forth as far as how to describe what I am in terms of a photographer. I'm—I'm I'm a hobby photographer. I've, I do some uh, commercial work as well. I—I I do some fine art stuff for for big prints for gallery as well. But most of all, it's just a way for me to kind of explore and connect with the world around me. And, you, uh, yeah,
1: you're, you're a teacher for like a, a full-time teacher. job.
0: Yeah. I am. A, I am a teacher by day. And, uh, and I used to say a photographer by night when I, when that was sort of mostly, uh, what I shot, I started, um, shooting about six years ago uh, when I got my first digital camera at the time. And, uh, and what I really fell in love with was taking photos at night. So that was like cityscape, like horrifying HDR cityscape work.
1: We've, we've all been there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, so these sliders go to 10. Okay. I'm going to do that. Max them out. Yeah. Yeah. Max. Them out <laughs> just to, but I mean, I think that's, that's like anything, you know, you're getting to know the gear and the limitations of it and, uh, and you know, early on developing a sense of what you like and what you don't. For sure, and uh, and yeah, so so I I started shooting a lot at night mainly just because that was my free time, and uh, like I teach during the day, and uh, and over the years I've I've had a young family and and so you know I spend the time with my boys when they're when they're awake, and then my sort of free time, if you will, is has always been at night, and so so started shooting cityscapes, and then I moved on to more like shooting. Uh, like Aurora and Milky Way and night sky sort of stuff because I'm, I am located in, uh, in Calgary, Alberta. And so it's, it's a pretty isolated city geographically in that you can, you can get out of the city in 15 or 20 minutes and be into some very dark sky country very quickly. And uh, I didn't quite grasp what that meant until I went back to Ontario with, which is where I'm originally from, Eastern Ontario, near Cornwall, and there's lots of little towns everywhere, and kind of medium-sized towns everywhere, and the sky is not dark. And so when you're trying to shoot things like stars or aurora or whatever, um, the sky just ends up being quite light, quite orange or yellow or, or whatever. So um, so here, yeah, I spent a lot of time uh, shooting night sky and, uh, and cityscapes, and then one day, we were just sort of looking for a new challenge, and um, bought a film camera. Uh, I had a, a friend of mine uh, whose name is Jack, and I taught Jack's kids years and years ago, and uh, and then we reconnected over over cameras, and he's you know kept putting a bug in my ear and saying like I think you would like this film stuff, and. Uh, it it came down to originally it, it was it was more about what the film photos were looking like that uh, that I was seeing. And um, I was thinking, like, you know, I spent a lot of time editing photos to sort of look like this. So maybe there's a shorter and simpler <laughs> and easier way to get here. Boy, was I wrong about that being a shorter and simpler The and easier. complete opposite. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hindsight's 20-20 on that one. You're like, oh, well, actually, there's a way more complicated and expensive and time-consuming way. Would you yes. like that? Apparently, the answer is yes. Um, But also, like, the more I got into, into looking at photographs um, and sort of realized that the difference between like a 35 millimeter frame or even full frame digital and medium format and large format. And that there was a lot of, you know, photographers that I was looking at, like at the time, and still I've I've always really loved uh Gregory Crutzen and and mm. Todd Hito, Hido, yep. or Ido, however you pronounce it. Um, you know, one of these names that you just read all the time and not mm. never hear. Uh and looking at their work and there's just like something different about it. And for years, I like, couldn't put my finger on it. And then you get into film and immediately I was like, I really like 35. But you're like, oh, OK, this is kind of a pain in the ass to scan. And, you know, unless you're like a, a really proficient scanner, it's not coming close to the digital files that you're getting. Well, you realize well, on a normal camera.
1: It's funny when you're in the digital world, right? You like uh, a full frame is like a big deal, right? You're like, uh, right. that's like the next step up. And then you get into, you start shooting with film and like 35 millimeter film, you go to scan it once and you're like, wow, this is like, <laughs> this is like the bottom of the barrel.
0: Right, right. Yeah. And it's still, like, it's still pretty good, like compared to the normal, like sort of snapshots that you're used to seeing. You're like, well, there's a lot more detail than I thought in this tiny piece of film. Cause I remember first, like not believing it, right? Like you look at it and I'm, and I'm, I'm a pretty. Uh, pretty heavy under the gear and the research and the technical side of things. And so, you know, but looking at this tiny piece of film and you're like, but actually this is not going to be the same as my other cameras. And like, you're shocked. Like it is like, there's an amazing amount of information in this tiny piece of film. And, uh, and I had started on like a Canon 60D was my first camera like six years ago. And, uh, so like crop sensor, pretty decent camera. And then, uh, and then moved to like a, a Canon like 5D2 that I still have, um, that I bought used. And I remember the difference between a crop sensor and full frame, and that was like pretty impressive, just as far as like even like depth of field or how much detail sure. you could see. And even though it's sort of an older sensor, whatever, I, but I still shoot it, it's great. And uh, and then, yes, yeah, so and moving from like 35 millimeter film, then I was like. And then yeah, so I came across Gregory Crudson and Hito's work, and did some did some research, and and they both. Well, I guess Hito uh, shoots a mix of. I think it's mostly Pentax six seven, and I think now it's now it's digital. But I think he did some four five stuff as well, like the shooting from the inside of the car through the window kind of stuff. Sure, sure. And uh, but then Crudson was like eight by ten. Yeah, his like, work incredible. This, you look at this and you're like, look at all the detail in this picture. Yeah. And I remember I bought a book and it was like my first big expensive photo book that I bought. And, and it's big, like the format of the book is big. It's probably 20 by 24 or something like that. And, uh, and you just look like you can stare into these photos for hours. And then I remember seeing like some, like did some research and, and seeing the, his work printed on the wall and like his prints are like 80 inches wide. And some of them are on like, you know, they're in light boxes and they're backlit. And I was like, that's what I want to do. Like this, that is the goal.
1: Well, it's, it's interesting to hear you, uh, kind of break down, uh, how things evolve for you. Cause it it kind of reminds me of like a similar, in a similar way, discovering film kind of impacted my direction as well and the work that I used to do and the work that I do now. And that's kind of one of the things I love about it. And, you know, by no means am I or will I ever be like a one versus the other film versus digital, anything like that. Right. I think uh, different formats to different people and we kind of all explore them throughout our careers. But uh, it's interesting looking at all like the work that you do now versus like, you know, talking about doing these like HDR cityscapes and stuff when you used to shoot digital and uh, like. I just love how film can kind of inspire these directions that you take. And then your work kind of evolves from there, not purely because of, you know, like the film itself or the camera itself, but just getting into that medium and what it kind of leads to.
0: Certainly. And I mean, and I think to a certain point, um, you know, the gear does sort of drive what you're doing in a way. Like I've always worked with sort of bigger, slower cameras because when you're working at night, you're on a tripod. So like, I don't, I don't care about fast film i don't really care about fast lenses um because everything is mounted to that tripod you're buckled down and everything is slow and methodical so it was a pretty quick jump for me to go from 35 to 120 to 4x5 yeah and so really like the 4x5 work and i still don't shoot as much of it as i could it's just a a patience thing um but it didn't really change my workflow at all like, like, as you know, from shooting four by five, it's a pain in the ass to deal with the film holders and loading and labeling and then last unloading. time I
1: last time I shot it, I I uh, like folded two pieces of film when I uh, tried to put in the dark slide or pull the dark slide one of the one of the two yeah. but basically I, yeah and then i'm like oh there's what 25 dollars gone or gone.
0: something gone evaporated yeah. right like yeah. i've had that we're like yeah you go you push the dark slide back in and i haven't loaded it correctly and then the dark yep. like gets between the film and the holder and you pull it out and it just like falls onto the road yeah like, okay well <laughs> that's
1: that that's when you go back to digital <laughs> <laughs> right
0: right, right. yeah uh, but yeah, so I've I've sort of found, like I said, I'm I'm a teacher. I'm not. Uh, I don't have endless resources to throw at this. So it's 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 sort of turned into, okay, like how can I do enough photo work to be able to pay for this, or how can I how can I make this work for me economically? Because I was I was really into it, and I really like was super obsessed with uh, with with making photos, and uh, and at the time like super obsessed with learning about the gear and stuff as well. And I think that's something that, that I really, I never really had an outlet for before, like six years ago. Like if you would have talked to me when I was I'm 36 now, so yeah, like before I was 30 would not have described myself as a, as a creative person at all. Never. Like I didn't hmm. draw, I didn't write, I didn't take pictures. I didn't do anything
1: Interesting.
0: like that at all. And, uh, but then I just, I got a camera and I was just like, oh, there's all this stuff to learn about. And then I remember just like pouring myself into YouTube videos and and learning about, you know, anything I could get my hands on. Photoshop stuff, Lightroom stuff, you know, creating like massive panoramas like I used to create. Like I, used, I shot one, my biggest print ever. I, I was hired by a gym and they wanted to shoot a – how big was it? I think it was – I think it was 110 feet wide (laughs) by 25 feet high.
1: Jeez.
0: And uh, I was like, okay, well, this is like a billboard or something. It doesn't need to be super high resolution. They're like, no, 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 no. This is actually like, it's like a decal banner on the Uh, the gym. So it needs to be pretty high resolution. I'm like, okay, I'm in. And, and, And they're like, well, it needs to be of the Three Sisters Mountains in Canmore. And we want like a blue sky, and we want some clouds, and we want some snow on the t- or no snow on the top. They had all these like requirements, and uh, and at the time I I've been like I've been taking these crazy panoramas of all the night photos that I was doing because I wanted to create that amount of detail. This is sort of before I knew, but this is before I was into film. Yeah, I wanted to create this that amount of detail in these pictures that I had seen in these guys that were shooting large format film gotcha. so to create that depth of field you know i'm shooting at like f2 but it's like you know it would be like a picture of maybe like a house and a car but it's like a 30 shot panorama yeah of, of that and so like you know it's like the the mirror is sharp and the side of the hood starts to get soft You know, it's like razor thin, you know, back when I thought that was like what I need to do, like create the thinnest depth of field I possibly can. (laughs) Right. Like, what am I doing? Yeah. And uh, but I had I had all this experience with making these panoramas. So I'm like, okay, no problem. I also done lots of Photoshop. I I still do like some composite work for the for the fine art stuff. And uh, so I'm pretty good at Photoshop and whatever. I'm like, okay, I'm confident that I can make this picture. And so I shot it with. I think it was a 5d3 and like a 300 mil telephoto lens from the other side of the town of Canmore shooting right over top of it. And it was like 120 photo stitch panoramic. Jeez. But you're just like, shoot, eh, shoot eh," (laughs) with like a pano head. And I had to go see another friend who had like a better computer than mine. And the, the file was just massive. And then, uh, and yeah, the, and the print looked fantastic. It was on like six big banners and, uh, and I think the gym went out of business like six months later, but. Oh, <laughs> but that's the kind of like the challenges that I used to look for. Yeah. And so I used to look, I used to take on all kinds of different jobs that were just a way for me to challenge myself. Like I love shooting weddings. Um, I don't shoot a ton. Like I, I shoot probably on average, like one or two a year, but I just love that pressure. Of like mm-hmm. you need to be there, you need to have this figured out, and you need to be able to make beautiful photos. Like now,
1: yeah, it's not happening again. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, it's not yeah. happening again, right? Like, okay, yeah. that's that's the bride, you know, coming around the corner with your dad. Like, bang, you need to have that now, and and there's no like, oh, okay, you're going to reverse it and go back and whatever. No, and so I, I I really enjoyed that sort of aspect of like the the kind of troubleshooting and planning that. Uh, that goes into that. And then I saw, I, I shot a wedding a few years ago with a friend who, uh, who's doing some video stuff. And then I realized like how not planned at all I was. And like, I thought I was pretty organized and like, okay, I'm planning like two steps down the road and he's planning like 11 steps down the road. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like just, just with the amount of, of forethought that needs to go into creating video work. I'm like, Oh, this is a different thing than what I'm doing. <laughs> okay. Got it.
1: <laughs> so what I'm curious about, um, when like i look at your work i mean your instagram has a ridiculous amount of images on it i tried going back just to like look at older work but there's like it's like 3500 images or something crazy so yeah it, you you know obviously you have this kind of really large body of work and it'd be easy to say just look at like your instagram and think that um maybe you're, you're doing this full-time or you're doing this as a career. And then you find out, you know, that I, I always knew that you were, you were teaching. So obviously that's like, that's how you're making your living. And it's funny because it's like, there's a lot, like I've been, I've been doing filmmaking and photography as, as my way of making a living for like 12 years now. Right. Um. But you know, there's always, 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 always times where I think like, should I supplement, like, should I make my income another way? And just like the idea of having photography as this like um, pure kind of hobby where there's no uh, like other than my kind of like creative um, expectations and the projects I want to do, there's no like uh, pressure to to, uh, you know, earn an income off of it like that. I'd be lying if I said that that didn't appeal to me. So, you know, what's that been yeah. like for you? And, and have you ever, have there, has there ever been a time where you've wanted to make it kind of uh, more than it is from like a financial standpoint or a professional standpoint?
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a, a great sort of concept that you brought up. And it's one that I've thought about uh, a lot as well. And, and there have definitely been times where, um, I guess I'll, 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 I'll backpedal this a little bit. So I got my, my teaching degree, and I've been teaching in Calgary for I think 14 years now, and uh, and then about six years ago, seven years ago, uh, my my goal was always to be a principal, and uh, that's sort of been kind of a family job. Like there's I had lots of uh, lots of teachers and administrators in my in my family, and I always thought that's what I wanted to do, and so I got my master's uh, right before my uh, my oldest son Henrik was born. And, uh, and that's actually when I started taking photos was I would, I would be up really late at night writing papers and, uh, and then I couldn't fall asleep. And then, so I would go take pictures for an hour or two. And then I started making some money, like selling prints or I would shoot events or I would shoot like weddings. And it was especially, uh, you know, with, with some weddings and some commercial work where you're like, Oh, you can act, you can make some money doing this. And, uh, and not that I made, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars or anything, but I was like, Oh, okay. I can make enough that I can buy the gear that I want. And like, for sure. start, And, and looking at like, you know, my teacher's paycheck and, and, a and, a and the money that was coming in from photos. And you're like, Oh, like if I really put my mind to this and I, and I really focused on this, maybe this could be an outlet for me. And then, but I've always been a very like a pretty risk adverse person, sure. uh, in general. And, and, you know, I, you know, I, I chose a career and, it you know, it has a pension and it has some job security and there are lots of benefits and, you know, it has like, a vacation schedule and a time schedule that works with a young family and pretty much the
1: complete opposite of being a freelancer. (laughs) The
0: opposite of that, right? Yeah. And and the beauty with keeping the photo stuff as a hobby was that if I was really into it, then I could I could do spend lots of time doing that. Sure. And and if I wasn't, if I was busy doing school, I had report cards, I had stuff going on at home, whatever, I just wouldn't have to do as much of it. And I, but you know, as I run through scenarios in my head, of like, Oh, okay, well, what if there's a time when, you know, this isn't, the money is not coming in when jobs are drying up, like right now, for example, uh, just in the world where, you know, it's a tough situation to be in. If you're a, if you're a freelance person, um, uh, so there's a, just from a reliability point of view, I, I always stuck with the, the sort of career path that I chose. But I also I cherish having my photo stuff as a pure hobby because I can do whatever I want. Yeah. And yeah. If it's if it I want to earn some extra money, like like what will often happen is like I'll you know if I have a new piece of gear that I want to buy or I have a new lens or or I have some expenses coming up that I haven't budgeted for or whatever. I'll Be like, oh, okay. Well, I can I can put a couple lines in the water and and get some jobs if I need them, and then earn that money as I go. And then if I don't, then whatever. And uh, and yeah. So it's it's good to have that um, to go to fall back on, um, but not have it control what I do with a camera all day. And I think that if I if I had to, like, I have a a good buddy, in my. Uh, Damien Blunt is his name. He's just an absolute resource for all things photo and video. Super duper talented. But I remember him, him always saying because he was a, uh, or he always saying because he was a commercial photo and video guy, and he spent you know probably twelve hours a day behind a camera. And some days he's just like, man, I don't want to come out tonight. I just have been looking at a camera all day, and I'm just toasted.
1: Man, it 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 changes things big time and i think obviously there's there's like benefits that come with it and and like you know it it is cool like to be able to uh you know there's i guess for me there's those days where you're like you know this is awesome i'm earning my living doing something i love but 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 then there's also the days where it's like the exact opposite of what you're talking about right where uh like maybe you don't want to go out or but but you have to right or um putting all your kind of like these pressures that don't really exist if you uh, aren't having to do it uh, for a living and it's funny because I think like I don't know if it's like this for everyone but I would assume that it you know a lot of us feel this like you get interested in photography or some creative um, hobby and then it's like there's this feeling like I need to become like a professional, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I think for a lot of us, you start to li- get past this stage where you, you get kind of really excited about it, really involved in it. And then you're like, "Well, oh, the next step is I, you know, keep, keep doing it and start making my living doing it. But it's funny. Cause it's like, that isn't how it has to happen at all. Right. Like you no, can keep it I, as your hobby. And I
0: think you're right. Like at, at a certain point, like that becomes the sort of trophies and validation is like, okay, I, I really like to do this. Now, can I get paid to do this? Yeah. Can I get someone to give me their hard-earned money in exchange for me taking photos of their fill-in-the-blank?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And like, will will someone buy a print of this? Will someone pay me to make a photo book? Will they pay me to to shoot their wedding or whatever it is? And like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like, I think those are great goals as well, right? But it's a difference between relying on that as a a fundamental source of income versus –
1: yeah well yeah no i I, and i think the funny thing is is like you don't have to do any of that right but i think a lot of us a lot of us uh just forget that where like you said you think all of a sudden like oh can i make some money can i sell a print can i get booked can i do this or that right but it's like you can just do photography uh purely out of the enjoyment of it right and it it is tough though because obviously like for all of us as creatives and artists and stuff, like you want to get better, right? And you want to keep progressing, and you want to make better work. And you know, when it gets uh, recognition, it kind of helps you feel like you're you're moving in that direction, right? But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, sometimes those pressures, I think, can also uh, really transform the experience.
0: Absolutely, and I think there's a lot of people too that that think that, uh, you know, they need to. They need to shoot a bigger format in order to validate what they're doing. We're like, okay, well, someday I want to shoot medium format. Yeah. And then you shoot medium format. And they're like, well, someday I want to shoot large format. And that's somehow that's a different genre of work that they're they're trying to build. And like I know so many people that that find something yeah. and they just latch onto it and they do it because they love it. Whether it's like, you know, I, I know some people, especially that and this is not something I identify with particularly, but like they find one camera and they find one stock of black and white film and they find one developer. And then that's what they do for their whole life. And they perfect it. And uh, there's a local photographer here uh, whose name is George Weber. Fascinating guy and uh, has some incredible books, uh, is an amazing, I can see a photojournalist, but he does some of the art sort of side as well. And uh, and he'll be the first guy to tell you that like he is not a technical person that yeah. like not really into camera settings shoots like a crop sensor digital um, for his pro work and has like a Leica M6 and I think he has a Hasselblad that he that he uses a little bit but shoots like I think it's TriX and has like one developer and like that's all he's done for his entire career and he's an absolute master. His pictures are absolutely phenomenal, but he just, like, does not – couldn't care less about changing cameras or trying a different film. He's just like, this works for me, and I love it, and that's all I'm going to shoot. So, I'm good.
1: Well, that's – you know what? That's why I love – uh, and I think it's important to like, take the time to view other people's work and especially photo books and stuff, because like you said, uh, you know, it's easy to think, okay, I got to shoot medium format. I got to shoot large. F- now I got to do like a, my next project on four by five. And then you g- go and you pick up like a good example is, do you know, uh, Fred Herzog?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So
1: it's like you pick up his book. It's all 35 mil. It's all 35. Right. Yeah. And it's just Absolutely. like the incredible photography and like that's just an example, but stuff like that is such a good reminder where you pick pick up this like, you know, amazing body of work, and it's like it, it didn't need to be like the most um, most kind of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not high end, but like the most prestigious like format, right? It could right. be whatever is working for the particular artist and, right. and I think, whatever. I
0: think he shot all it was like 35 millimeter Kodachrome. Yeah, and uh, and there's he's represented. I like guess his work because he's passed away. I, like his work continues to be represented by a gallery in Calgary that Trapani oh, okay. Bay. and uh, like really quite a prestigious gallery. They've got some amazing people on the books. And but I've seen uh, I've seen his work at the gallery that represents my work. They do framing and stuff too. And I walked in once, and there's two like Herzog prints, like wow. signed prints that they are framing. They were probably not big. They were maybe like 24, 18 by 24 or something like that, but like pretty big. And I remember just looking at them and you would never guess that it's 35. Like, I don't know how they're getting scanned. Like they're probably drum scanned and whatever else, but they were spectacular looking, like the best looking 35 millimeter prints that I have ever seen. And just like the most amazing color. Like he's such a a genius with color. Uh, Oh man, his work's uh, incredible. And the combination of like, His understanding of color and how to interpret that in the world, and Kodachrome, um, which can be like a lot, right? Like we've all we've all seen the sort of cartoony looking Kodachrome photos, orange skin, like just like whoa, this is not the goal. Um, But he just uses it in an unbelievable way, and uh, and the output, like the the final prints, were just like spectacular.
1: Well, and that's, that's such a good example. And I think, uh, like I'm, I'm guilty of it. And I think a lot of us are where like, you can get in your own head, right? Like I shot, I shot a ton of 35, um, for like half a year, three quarters of a year when I was first starting my work kind of out in the American West. And then it's funny. Cause like, as I evolved to medium format and then wanted to dabble in large format, it's like all of a sudden part of me almost felt like you know, that stuff is no good anymore. I can't, but it's like most most, shit. I would not
0: use this anywhere, but but,
1: but from like an, from like an image standpoint, those are like compositions and and light and all like those images are a lot of my favorites that I've made for that body of work. And, and, and so like, I'm not saying I'm disregarding them at all. I'm just like, uh, you can't like, it is easy to get in your head at times. Right. And be like, well, now that I'm using this, all of a sudden, right. this isn't good enough. And it's like, sure, if I was going to go, like, if someone wanted me to, you know, do like a 60-inch print for their gallery, there would be a limitation. But, you know, if I'm going to do a photo book, I'm good to go. More than enough,
0: right? More yes. than enough. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and that was always sort of what drove format for me was because ever since that day where I, like, saw the Crudson pictures that were, like, giant on the wall and back there, I was like, that's what I want to do. And so, like, how do I need to get there? like, okay, I'm probably not going to blow up a 35-millimeter frame to being that big and then you realize like how like the different film sizes and then and then sort of work my way up to four by five and then at a certain point you're like it doesn't really matter like anything above 120 like unless you're printing the size of a barn door like you you can print 120 at 40 by 50 like yeah oh absolutely i had i had i had a show this year and they were all drum skinned uh, shout out to my friend Matthew Brooks in Montreal who runs a drum scanning service. He's a fine art photo prof and a hell of a photographer as well. And uh, he produces like he's – he's a different guy. He He's not like a, like a photographer like I have my camera on me at all times. He has like an Arca Swiss 8x10 and he plans like a couple of trips a year. And he already knows what photos he's going to take. And he does not take <laughs> pictures in between that. And it's like 8x10. Portrait one hundred and sixty, and like yeah. that's what he does, and uh, but he's exactly the guy that you want drum scanning your work. Like the scans were spectacular, spectacular, and just perfect. Like sends them back, and uh, and then I had to work with them to make sort of. Uh, I have this series of images called Urban Landscapes, where it's like urban buildings. Yeah, I want to talk. Are- I want
1: to talk to you about that.
0: Cool. Okay, we can get. Yeah, that. but uh, so yeah, so I had the, it was all shot on film. And so I sent off a bunch of work to get scanned by him and then brought them back. And then I have to cut them out in Photoshop and sort of assemble them together. But I did like a bunch of 40 by 50 prints that were shot in six by seven. And I did some that were four by five as well. I'm like, are the four by five sharper? Yeah, they are. But like the only person that notices that is me. Yeah. No one else, no one else is going to look at it and be like, Oh, it's kind of soft.
1: Well, except for us, us photographers right like we we are the only ones who look at a print and put our face like four inches away from it right Right. and like like how it's sharpened or something well i don't know get my loop out yeah yeah uh those are the that that's the kind of stuff that's so important to remember too because it's like i'm all for like um process and quality and you know trying to get the most out of everything and, and mm-hmm. have my work be as kind of dialed as it can be. But then it's like, it is important to kind of keep those things in mind at, at times. Right. Where it's like, I've actually seen some, like it's been interesting. I've done that before. Like I'll admit it. Right. We all kind of do totally. it where you put your face that close up. But I've, I've seen like photographers work who I, um who I really admire before in person printed. And I've done that because I'm a photo- like a photography snob or whatever. <laughs> and I've been like, Oh, like, it kind of looks the same as mine. Right. Like it's I, I, right. I like p- part of me expects it to be like this, like cr- like another level. Right. But I'm yeah. like, maybe there's a point where you can just overanalyze things too much. And you have to realize that yeah, you're looking at a, a large print on a wall and you're probably going to stand like five feet away from it.
0: Yeah, at least. Right. At least. <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, but I always want to like, especially if it's the composite work, I'm, I'm always like trying to find the clues for like Like the halo or something where the Photoshop (laughs) is like, yeah, you know, like, like, Oh, was that cloning there? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, always trying to inspect that stuff,
1: which is good for sure. For sure. Unless you talk
0: to real like art people and then they're like, you're being an idiot, but
1: yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so jumping into your work a little bit then, uh, a lot, I mean, a large portion of it is night work. Almost all of it, it seems. I mean, you do shoot, actually to the point where like when I see work of yours, that is like in the daytime, it like, <laughs> ca- catches me off guard. I'm like, what is this? So like you, you talked about you kind of explained already how you got into kind of shooting at night. But like um, how did that evolve? Like so you know, getting away from getting into film, getting away from these kind of like HDR nightscapes and stuff. And then moving into this like film-based kind of nostalgic work shot at night. Like uh, what was the, that beginning process like?
0: Um, I think it started, I can still remember sort of, I have these early shots, you know, where I'll, where you go out, I'll go out and shoot at night and I'll shoot like, you know, say like 20 different scenes and I'll have like 400 different pictures or more if it's like, uh, you know, if it's Panos and they're all HDRs, you no. Know, now you got to have four, or five, or th- you know, three or five or whatever pictures of the same thing at you know the different EV values, and you just end up with monstrous amounts of files. But then, even now, when I go back and look, there will be like one or two of these other pictures that are not a pretty cityscape. It'll just be like, oh, there's an old car. Like
1: I saw it. Well, sort of catch but I—I I shot
0: I, any of this stuff.
1: I even saw that when I was looking through your Instagram a little bit. It was like these like HDR nightscapes and like like uh, lit up cities and stuff, and then it was like old truck. But then right. it, you know, but then there was like six or seven or eight more of these other photos afterwards. It's like these little hints of what what was coming.
0: Well, and that's sort of like, and that's kind of early Instagram days days too, right? Where it's like, oh, I got I get featured by Tours in Calgary. That's cool. Uh, you know, I get featured by Explore Canada or something. That's cool. But then in that, and I think fans sort still are today, where they're like, no, you do HDR night stuff. I don't want to see anything else. And you would notice it it would be like, oh, I got it. I got 500 likes on this picture. And you'd post like a picture of whatever, a a car or something that was not in your lane. And you'd get like 25. Yeah. You're like, oh, I'm never doing that again.
1: Well, and and, and and I want to touch on that quickly because that's something that I think is very relatable for a lot of us, right? This, sh- this shift, and I've talked about it already a bunch of times on this podcast, like the shift that I did from from landscape photography to the work I did now. But it was like I experienced that, man. And it s- seems like such a strange thing to talk about because it seems kind of so like, like it, it doesn't seem like it should be it an issue that we have, but it is right. Like I, I remember when I would go to post this new type of work I was creating and like, you know, just being like, people are going to hate this. Right. When I went to click it, it's like this transition period that is very kind of strange.
0: Yeah. And it's, and it's sort of like, it's a strange thing. I feel like as an adult to be worrying about, like, are my fans going to like this? You know? Yeah. It's very
1: petty almost. Who (laughs) cares?
0: Who cares? Half of them are bots anyway. But it's, uh, yeah. I mean, I have sort of a, uh, like you were talking about, I do, I have a bajillion pictures on Instagram and there was years where, um, you know, that was my main creative outlet and, and I would post like a picture or two every day. And I know, uh, like Ian, who you had on a couple weeks ago, who, uh, who I'm friendly with as well. I know like he, he does that too. Like he, he loves getting tons He's of shit out lot. there. He's got a ton of pictures and he's still yep. like after he's yesterday he posted something about like he walked a hundred miles this week. What? I Did like actually 12 that doesn't, days in a row of walking.
1: Like that doesn't surprise me. No, it's
0: unbelievable. <laughs> so he's so he's yeah. doing his thing and he loves it, and, I, and 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 that's great. And and uh and I, I used to put out tons of stuff uh all the time. And and I think part way through last year, um I just sort of like Instagram was just becoming this strange beast for me that, um, you know, I was sort of trying to look at my work and thinking about why I was doing what I was doing. And, you know, the, the goal is not just to make banging photos for the gram. The, the goal is to, you know, to work on some projects or to make yourself better or whatever. And, uh, and I just sort of, took a step back and like, I still, I still look at lots of pictures on Instagram and I still post things occasionally and throw stuff up in the story. Um, but I've sort of stopped posting stuff there regularly, uh, for whatever reason, it's just, yeah, it's just kind of turned into a bit of a, a bit of a strange, strange beast in a lot of ways for me.
1: And I think we, I think we kind of all go through that at times. Like even for myself, I think it would have been last year. Basically like there was a point, Probably in 2019, when I when I was back, got back to Ontario and was like busy getting caught up with stuff, and I wasn't as like active with film photography and stuff because I was doing filmmaking and video work and stuff. And
0: I I, I, you you were on the road in the American Southwest for like for a year or something.
1: Yeah, just about a year, and then obviously like once we got home from that trip, we like paid the price of taking a year off big time right? right so i got i was super consumed with everything going on back home and and uh i didn't post for yeah maybe like a couple images and you know in over like a three four five month period or something N- yeah. and now i'm now i'm back on there quite regularly just because that's where my focus is right now but um i, I was feeling kind of similar it wasn't purely just because i was like too busy it was also kind of like i think you get you almost can get burnt out at, at a point, right? Totally. Especially if you're trying to be super active on there and you just, it, it, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about at the start where it's like, when, I think whenever these kind of like expectations or pressures get brought into your work by yourself, right? If that's like yeah. financial or, or based on things like that, it can, it can change the way you interact with your craft.
0: Well, and part of it for me too is that I'm always, I'm kind of a medium competitive person. Um, which is kind of a weird way to describe it, but (laughs) but I'm mainly like, I'm competitive with myself. And so if I've posted a picture and I don't feel like my next photo is better, then it bothers me. And so there, there was a while, like, you know, if I looked at how much I shot it, you know, two years ago or three years ago, it was a lot. Like I was probably shooting 10 rolls of film a week and developing all that on my own and scanning it all and whatever. And, uh, and then in the last year, there's been some sort of, you know, fairly major changes in my life, but I've, I've just been spending a lot more time just doing other stuff and, uh, and just haven't felt the need to, to go out and and make photos at every possible opportunity in my life and trying to sort of think back or uh, you know reflect and be a little more project based and and uh and i know like kyler who you had on talked about that uh last week as well he's a he's a good buddy of mine of a fellow alberta guy out here as well and he's he's like hyper project based like he has that end goal in mind that is so not how i think or plan um but he's like oh, okay like you know, he knows what color the cover of the book is going to be before he's picked yeah. up the camera. I love
1: that about him. I love that about him. He, yeah.
0: And, and he is, he's is incredibly thoughtful and incredibly well-spoken and, and he sort of knows the why before he is picking up the camera, um, which is the opposite of what I do. And, uh, And I think that's cool, too, that you can both sort of shoot similar kind of subject matter and and in the same in the same place and sort of be doing the same thing, but be approaching it from from very different uh, directions.
1: Yeah, I agree. And it's I mean, it's I think at times we can it's easy to forget that, like, we're all unique and we kind of need to embrace that. Right. Like it's it's easy to. Go into the space that you're in, like in whatever photography world you're 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 part of, and just all of a sudden start looking at other people's work and, and yeah. comparing yours against it. Not even from like a from like a popularity standpoint, but from like an a, an approach standpoint. And and at least for me, at times it can be like why didn't I do it that way? Why didn't I do it that way? Right. Right? But I think like the reality is, is like we're all just going to approach things our own ways and we can kind of pick things here and there from other people and learn from other people. But you know, it doesn't mean that every, everything is going to fit us like it fits someone else.
0: No. And I, and I think it's cool too, because they're, I find their sort of photographers are in very different camps. Either they, um, they don't look at anyone else's work and they just, they're sort of tunnel vision on their own, which can be great. Because you know, there's a lot of people that aren't influenced by what other people are doing at all, and uh, and that has its has its upsides. You're really in on what you're doing, um, but there are people that that also like that look and imitate, and uh, and I know like that was sort of ah, that's not really frustrating for me, but you know, anytime you shoot in the public domain. And your images are popular, I think you're going to end up with people that are like, that see them, and they're like, oh, I like that. And then they end up um, creating images that are similar. And I mean, it's not, you don't own that motel sign. You don't own that old shitty car in an alley. You don't own whatever it is. Um, but, you know, if you're the first person that takes a picture of it, you sort of feel that way. And that's not. Maybe that's not right, but you still kind of do.
1: Well, and I think that's just that's just being honest, right? right. But uh, I mean, it's inevitable that stuff like that's going to happen, and you and you like it's trends, right? You notice trends, yeah. and, and maybe and maybe uh, maybe you're the the trendsetter at at a point, right? But it's like if things are out there uh, for the public to see um, and other people really like it, like pe- people imitate, it. and and I'm like, I've always been of the the mindset where i'm like it's that's like a it's kind of the bigger picture that matters right in terms of like everything everything's been done and everything's been been copied to an extent right and i I think for for me i'm like it's not worth getting hung up on something like that because at the end of the day what's gonna like no one can create the larger body of work that you're gonna create right Right.
0: maybe no one creates in a vacuum like I'm influenced by people. You're influenced by people. For sure, hundred percent. So is everybody, right?
1: Yeah. And
0: um, yeah, it, it's it was interesting too. Like when I first started shooting this sort of night stuff and sort of transitioning into um, into sort of away from the kind of sparkly cityscape stuff. My goal was always to kind of find interesting scenes and find kind of beauty in the mundane. In the, in the sort of everyday things, because that's what was available to me. And uh, one of my favorite things to this day, and it still happens to me fairly regularly, is when a stranger walks up, it happens a lot at night, because they, people have no idea what you're doing. Like they just look at you like you're an alien. Like you, you're out there yeah. with a the camera, and they're like, <laughs> is it, a, and it's a big, like I shoot a Mamiya, uh, or used to shoot a uh, quite a bit of Mamiya RZ, so it's like this big contraption, right? Like with the eye level prism and like, it just, it just looks like an eighties video camera. Yeah. And people just have No <laughs> idea what you're doing. And they're like, well, what are you, but if they don't talk to you, they'll look at you and then they look at whatever your camera's pointing at. And then nothing in that scene registers to them as something that anyone would want to take a picture. of. <laughs> so they look at it for a while. And they look back at you and some people just kind of like shake their head and keep walking. Man. Or some people are like, what are you doing? It, and they just like, and then you explain it to them and then they still have no idea what you're talking about.
1: That, it's, it's almost one of my favorite things. I mean, obviously <laughs> it's, it depends on what you like, what genre you shoot in. But I like, I can relate. There's been times before when, I, when I've been taking, you know, a picture of like, uh, I. T- there was like this overflowing massive garbage can that I took a picture of right. once, and right. like right, and, and like I'm like people must think there's something <laughs> legitimately wrong. Like, so you're there. just taking a picture of that garbage of <laughs> yeah, that garbage, yeah. It's, and then even mm-hmm, but, I am, but but even myself, uh, you know, at times I'll even stop and think. I'm like, I went from like photographing like the wilderness. Um, under the most like beautiful conditions in these like amazing locations, this really peaceful experience. And now I'm like in some like oh, kind of random cool. alley photographing a garbage can. And I like traveled and spent a bunch of money to come here to do this. Right. <laughs> and, and this like, is exactly what I'm looking for. Like, <laughs> yeah. This, I'm, this. And I'm, su- I'm super excited about it too. <laughs> yeah.
0: And, and uh, I uh, and, like my, uh, I always remember like my mom, I love her. You know she she was sort of a slow understander of my transition from like shooting more interesting things in her mind, more interesting things to just like old stuff and uh and you know for forever she was like, you know maybe you should go out like during, at sunset or like <laughs> get up early like like at sunrise, you know be like, look, nah, mom, I'm, I'm done with that <laughs> things look beautiful and she's just like, "What are you doing like why? And uh, and my dad sort of gets it a bit more, and he was a photographer as well, and 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 like stuff. But you know, anytime they want, if they want prints of something, it's always like five years ago you from the archives. <laughs> <I'm> like, oh <laughs> god, come
1: on! Not the not the sunset lake shot again. Right. Yeah, well, yeah, that's yeah. exactly it. And it's like, what you don't I
0: want? You don't want a picture of like this old dusty barn? Yeah, come on. And then like you, but you, I get it at the same time, right? Where you are like, hundred percent. Of course, they don't. Like, of course, yeah. they don't want a picture of an old barn and well, uh, sorry.
1: And it's uh, well, no, I was just going to say, like, it's there's such I think there's such a lesson to be learned in that. And it's something I talk about a lot. Like, I, I talk a lot about this, my, my own transition because of exactly all the things that we're, we're mentioning. And it's kind of made me realize uh the importance of like a supporting um, other artists uh, with whatever they're interested in, even if you aren't. You know, there's a lot of. As you know, the online world, there's a lot of uh, people who criticize and critique and hate and stuff, right? Where, where, like, you know, something isn't in line with what they like, so all of a sudden it's wrong, right? It's so bad. one of the lessons yeah. I've, I've learned is, like, look at the shift I did, right, in terms of the the photography or the content that I'm photographing. Um, and I can understand why people would look at it and, and think it's a, it's a weird transition, right? So it's made me, like really kind of realized the importance of like supporting other artists, regardless of kind of what they're interested in, in yeah. shooting. And then it's also made me realize like the importance of like, uh, just following what interests yourself, right. And, and change and evolving.
0: Totally. And I think that's something too, that that's another benefit of doing this as a hobby separate from your work. Um, is that you're free to explore whatever it is that interests you. Like if For you, sure. if you like shooting, like there's a guy, uh, um, in uh, in Canmore here, who shoots like portraits of stumps, amazing. And, and then he gives them all like women's names, like they have like like it's like this is Charlotte, and it's like a forty by fifty inch print of a stump, and and uh, yeah, Derek Bisbing, he's awesome, and uh, and his new thing is piles. He shoots like piles of stuff, and, well, uh, and which I that's what makes people unique.
1: Well, I, I'm shooting on our stand. <laughs> like, what the fuck am I doing? But that's what that like that is exactly what I think people need to do more of is like, you know, I I understand, I understand how like you could see what's working for other people and be attracted to that, especially if it appeals to you, right? Like if you look at some other work that someone else is doing, right. It's, it's attractive to you and it's also popular and that's what you want to do. But I think like, even if you can embrace like little, these little quirks or these little interests, like regardless of how ridiculous they might seem, I think like that is so important for everyone to do because that's when like someone's kind of unique work, Starts to kind of shine absolutely. a little bit,
0: absolutely. Yeah. And uh, and I and I love sort of learning from how other people approach photos as well. And and I was sort of traditionally quite uh, and I still enjoy shooting on my own, but quite an independent photographer. I know there's lots of people that like shooting with groups of people and whatever. Um, but for me, it's almost a meditative experience, especially with film, like you'd need to be pretty focused and uh and sort of in your own head about what it is that you're seeing and processing, but then all the technical side of it Uh, as well. You need to be pretty into it. And I've, you know, I've shot enough, however many thousand rolls and sheets and stuff now that, you know, the technical part is pretty in there and I don't really have to worry about it. Or I'm not worried about exposure times. I'm not worried about like, I know what aperture I'm going to use. I know probably what the shutter speed is going to be. And then I can just sort of focus. But, um, but I've been shooting a lot more, uh, with my girlfriend Raquel, uh, Raquel Helbo, amazing photographer as well. And and we're lucky enough that we, we shoot sort of similar subject matter lately. And so it's been a lot of the sort of Canadian West, uh, and Saskatchewan and Alberta as well. Um, and a lot of small towns, sort of like what, uh, what Kyler was saying. And, uh, but, but learning from her in terms of like compositions and uh, you know, it's, it's interesting when you shoot with another photographer, um, and I, I know like my, my friend Jack, used to describe my sort of compositions as rigidly formal, which I think was sort of a backhanded compliment. <laughs> and, uh, like I like verticals to be straight. I like things to be yeah. centered. I like,
1: I, I get that vibe. Right.
0: And, yeah. uh, so like I like tilt shift lenses. I like perspective control. I like four by five is perfect. And, uh, and, and, but you know, it's, it's when you come up on a scene and you're like, oh, okay, I like this. I like this building. I like this light and whatever, you know, and then you'll go one way and then, and then Raquel will go a different way. And you're like, well, where's she going? I'm like, that's not the shot. This is the shot. Yeah. <laughs> and then more often than not, I'm wrong. <laughs> you know, you see the photos after you're like, right. Yeah, that was the shot there. And uh, so I do like shooting with other people and figuring out how you can learn uh, from them as well because when you shoot by yourself all the time, it's just you. And, uh, and you know, you develop habits and some of them are good and some of them are bad. And, uh, I, so I, I, I learn a lot from her all the time, every time we go out and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool to figure out what you can learn from shooting with different people as well. But I think it's good to, to still go out on your own as much as you can as well. Cause it's, it's a different experience.
1: Yeah, that's for me, that's um, how my work has been for almost my entire career. And that's one of the things that is a huge appeal to me about photography is this like alone time. And it's a very kind of quiet process and whatnot. And it's funny because like I've often gone to like meetups and stuff like that for like groups I've been part of. But I I, I don't think I have ever created uh, an image that I'm happy with when I've been shooting with other people because my head isn't there, right? Like it's totally. more of like a, it's a social thing. People are talking and like when I go, it's it's at least for the way I, I work, it's it's um, I, I just like to be by myself. But um, I want to jump back quickly to you're talking about, uh, you know, probably have shot a thousand rolls of film and just really nailing the process down because um, one of the things I was interested to chat with you about is just uh, frustrations with film <laughs> and kind of where this is, this is born from is... I've just become more curious with that um, the, the deeper I get into this, because almost all my works shot on film and it has been for a few years now. And it's like it's a learning curve. And I f- I feel like I'm quite comfortable now with my skills. But like there's things like. I just shot, so I just got scans back before this conversation today. I shot some expired film, right? And it's like, it was expired in 97. Uh, I didn't overexpose it that much. I rated it, it was 160. I rated it at 100. Yeah. And like, the scans came back and like, they were all, like, it didn't have enough light, right? Like, right. It, it was, they were all underexposed. And then like, the, the, camera i hadn't used before and this this is for an upcoming youtube video that yeah. i'm doing and like the camera looked mint and it was all tested but like there were light leaks so there's light leaks on all the frames right so like and it, and of course like <laughs> i went and i shot this entire video based around this i'm still gonna post it because it's like part of the adventure right but um as part of it people mo- love that i love that stuff right well there's so there's moments like that where like don't get me wrong like i'm 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 in and like Film for me is what really works for the for my creative process. And I can't see myself really ever abandoning it. But there's times when stuff like that happens where I'm just like, like, want to rip my hair out. Right. So for you, especially shooting at night, like, what's that been like? Because obviously, you know, there's a learning curve getting into film and then there's a learning curve getting into film and learning how to expose it at night, arguably under the most difficult uh, environment out there. Totally. Yeah, so what's and, that been like for you? Yeah, so,
0: so it's started off um, where I wanted to shoot film and I wanted to shoot medium format. And as soon as you go from 35, as you know, to shooting medium format, um, the number of photos that you get a roll drops by six seventy 70%, right? Like, like, I got my first medium format camera was a Mamiya RZ with a 65, and uh, fantastic camera. Like, love that camera to pieces. You know, the modular design is great. So I had like two or three different backs and uh, just the one lens for the first couple of years. And I loved it. I also love when you're on a tripod and you have three different backs, I would always have three different films and I would shoot the same scene on three different films because I just want to see what it looks like. Right. And I forget there's, there's some photographer, I can't remember who it was. It was a quote that was like, you know, why did you take that picture? And you're like, well, I just wanted to see what it looked like in a picture. And you're like, Right. <laughs> Right. I, I can relate to that Really, like, you know, you, you look at it now, but then you take a picture, like, does it look different? Is it look good? And, um, and so it always like, I would take pictures what, on different film stocks. And, uh, but I almost always used, um, expired film and still mostly use expired film. And, and there's uh, an uncertainty that comes with that. Oh, massive uncertainty. It's massively uncertain all the time. And, uh, and I, because I, when I first started, I remember I was surfing on, uh, I don't know, like like a Facebook film, blah 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 group, and there was someone near here that had like a fridge of film for sale, and it was like three hundred rolls of film for, I think it was like one hundred and fifty dollars.
1: That would be an absolute jackpot right now. I was
0: like sold, gone, and they were like happy to send it. Like it, it was like two lawyers boxes full of film. Jeez. Still have some of it. Lots of it, hot garbage. <laughs> and, uh, but lots of it was great. And so I, I was always looking for ways that I would be able to afford doing this. So right away I start, I stuck to, um, expired film. And my cap was always like maximum $5 a roll and even $5 a roll. That's, that's a lot. Like, like, like I, I could often score it for three or four dollars a roll, which is like ten dollars cheaper than you know buying new film all the time. And then I started developing myself, not literally developing myself. Well, I guess sort of developing
1: myself. <laughs> a little bit also. of both, <laughs> developing. Right. Yeah.
0: Maybe not enough developing of myself, but, uh, but developing film at home. And that was before the days when uh, when I bought like an immersion circulator sous vide to start controlling the temperature. It was just like, "Mm, yeah, this feels pretty good. And, uh, you know, I had like a a thermometer, but it wasn't very good. And, uh, and so there was, there was a wild amount of variables that were flying around. And for me to get like a nailed down photo was quite an accomplishment. Hmm. And I look back now and you know, I've, I've re-scanned the old stuff and you're like, this is roasted. Like this film is absolutely roasted. Like the water must've been way too hot. Or whatever. So early on, I I really acclimatized myself to there's a good chance that these shots are not gonna work
1: out. That's a, that's a good mindset. <laughs> and
0: that's the phrase, that's <laughs> yeah. the mindset going in. Yeah. I still sort of have that. I yeah. have a much I, I have a much higher uh expectation of myself these days, but I still could the shoot expired film still. Um and roles don't work out and but there's still this this like weird voice in the back of my head that's like, yeah, but sometimes there are expired roles and the moons align and you get something better. There's some combination of me developing at home, this weird old film that you don't know where it has been, right? And there's people that are like, oh, well, you need to add a add a stop for every decade, blah, blah, blah. That's horseshit. Like, like, yes, that's a good starting point, but actually you have no idea. There's a like, ton of other variables. Sometimes there's, film, there's tons of variables. Like I've had, I had film that I bought new six months ago and didn't put it in the fridge and it's garbage. Like, like why? Like brand new Portra 400. Why? Why is this not good? Um, or I have film that's 30 years old, 40 years old that I've shot that looks like a million dollars. Yeah. And you never really know. And so there's always this like pursuit of the something that could be more than that keeps me alive and going. Also, it's drastically cheaper. Yeah. Also, which also keeps it going. I'm like I could shoot five rolls of this whatever expired, you know, Portrait 160 NC or Fujiastia or, you know, Riala or something else that's interesting that you can't really get anymore. And when you're developing, like you can put 20 25 rolls through a tank of developer uh through a, a, a leader chemistry kit and you're looking at like two dollars a roll yeah. a dollar 50 roll compared to if you're buying fresh film you're looking at an average of what 12 or 14 10. bucks a roll yeah 20 bucks a roll to develop and scan it you're like 35 dollars per roll yeah like,
1: when that, one image is good <laughs> yeah
0: Right. Right. Yeah. And so for me it's always been more of an experiment and I've and I've really enjoyed sort of that forced destruction of some of the pictures. Where just like my expectation is not that everything's gonna be perfect. I I'm sort of happy when it works out well.
1: Well, that's really comforting <laughs> to hear that. And and um also really interesting to hear because I don't shoot like I've shot before these rolls, I shot like three or four rolls of like, it was like Polaroid branded 35 millimeter film that i oh, found at a amazing. thrift store and yeah, I yeah, shot yeah, it yeah. and I shot in a point and shoot camera and I just, so I expected it to just be bad. Right. So it was all like underexposed and vignetted and it looked kind of fun and stuff. But uh, this stuff I bought, um, just kind of for fun, right? And I and I wanted to make a video about it, but it's funny because yeah. it's like I bought it off eBay. What with it? So it's Fuji. MPS. I don't want to
0: spoil. Sorry, I don't want to spoil
1: your video. No, no, no. It's all good. It's all good. uh MPS Fuji 160. Yeah, that's my
0: favorite. Man.
1: Um, expired in '97, right? But the funniest thing is just like, and maybe this is because like I don't shoot much expired film, but it's like the whole reason I want to shoot it is to see if it had some unique look, right? So I went and I totally. shot. I went and I shot it, and then it's like. When I got my scans back and they didn't look like freshly scanned Portra 400, like when they had imperfections and there were weird color casts, I was almost like, what? Like, ah, like disappointed. But I'm like, wait a minute. Like, this is what I was looking. This is what I was after. Right. I wasn't looking for 25 year old expired MPS 160. That is going to look like brand new MPS 160 if it it existed anymore. Right. So um, totally. And then I'm also like, oh, like do I not know how to meter anymore? Like what's going on? Why is it under like,
0: and I think like
1: in my experience, it shoots
0: very differently. So like, so I have that Fuji MPS is one of my favorites and I've got, I don't know, probably a hundred rolls of it in the fridge. I like, I like cruise eBay and stuff are used to, I haven't in a long time cause I've sort of built up a good stockpile, but you know where I got really good deals on things. And I found that like, if you, you'll, you'll find these old pros from wherever and they have a freezer full of film and and you can get great deals if you're buying like 200 rolls. You know, all of a sudden it'd be like 200 bucks or something. And you're like, dollar a roll. I'm in. Yeah. And uh, so I've had lots of this stuff of varying of varying vintages. And there's there's 160s. There's 160ns. There's NPL. There's uh, 160c. There's like a, a contrasty version of it as well. <laughs> and it, it is amazing film. And I shoot most of it at 50.
1: Oh, okay.
0: And at, at ISO 50. It does, and I find this across the board with expired film, the higher contrast scene, the more light there is in the scene, the better it will do. Gotcha. And it, it loses the ability to, to absorb those shadow details. So if you're shooting into the shadows, bump it up to 25. Hmm. Like give it a, an extra stop. If you're shooting in full sunlight, maybe you can shoot at 100 and it works out pretty well. That. but it's not necessarily a uh, one iso that works for every situation and I mean, maybe that's the case with with lots of film and there's just more latitude in the newer stuff but in the older stuff especially give it an extra stop if it's dark and if it's night who knows you, you like there's no reciprocity timing for anything you you can often like just double your exposure time and you know i bracket to get around that and and, uh, you never really know how expired stuff is going to react at night, especially, but
1: that, that makes a lot of sense just because like thinking I, I looked at all these Im- images, uh, before I hopped on, uh, the conversation with you, but that makes sense. Cause a lot of them. So it was a full, like it was a full Sunday out and I shot all the way from like, you know, mid afternoon to twilight. And it's like any of the shots where I was shooting into the shadows, um, Uh, The highlights look really, really nice. The shadows are like, uh, like I I was, yeah, I was metering at a hundred and I was exposing for the shadows as well. So like, I wasn't underexposing the film yet the film looked underexposed, you know what I mean? And then it's interesting because once I got to like uh dusk closer to the evening when it was like low light and I was pushing it a bit uh those images are just like they look super underexposed even though like yeah. i was still metering at 100 and i was still probably at least nailing that proper uh iso 100 exposure so
0: uh, yeah the more light, the better or you got to start bracketing and just and going like okay this is what i meter at mm. yeah three stops over maybe let's try yeah. that yeah and you're just like throwing wild darts out right like you don't you don't necessarily know but it the more you sort of work with it, the more comfortable you get with where to add light and where not to. And, and, you know, as, as a sort of general rule, I seem to like to make things harder for myself, not easier. So, you know, <laughs> you know, using old cameras and then, you know, four by five or six by seven or whatever now. Okay. Now I need to shoot apparently expired film because it makes it worse.
1: But well <laughs> well, it's funny like mo- most of my well all of my gear uh, is back in Canada right now because I came to England just on oh, like our really? right. last minute so I've been buying stuff here right so that's why I was shooting right. with a brand new camera I'd never used so I've been I've just been having like I, I also have this like a Zeiss
0: I'm curious uh, to see what the camera is too I, I'll, I'll I won't spoil your video oh but. so
1: it's a, it's a Mamiya 645 like a 1000s uh, oh, but nice, it, nice, had, nice. it had a light leak issue but I also just um I've been shooting with an like, old Zeiss icon folder as well and it's yeah, like six by six yeah so i just went and shot an episode yesterday and sent the film off and then I, I just got today my first scans back from that camera and it's like i never went slower than a 60th of a second uh but it's like i i can tell any of the 60th of a second um shots that i took are blurry so now i'm like oh well the camera obviously the shutter speeds aren't timed out right and obviously a 60th of a second is slower are they
0: bright also
1: no no Oh. so anyway just to your point like those are the moments where i'm like what, what am i doing you know yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: you like but, i own gear that can do a better job yeah, than this yeah. but i
1: have chosen this it's part of the fun but it's, uh, yeah so the, uh, uh jumping back to your night stuff i guess um one thing i would love to know so uh, obviously like it's a more difficult world, right? Like a lot of people you 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 get into film, you start learning how to expose, you might get really dialed with, you know, learning how to say use a spot meter and middle gray and all that kind of stuff. But then you go out in the right. in the night and it's like you either have super deep shadows or yeah. or a lot of the times really bright shadows. Highlights. Really highlights
0: are the big issue and yeah. then
1: you do have some midtones here and there but it's not like uh, if you're out in the day and it's there's a lot of midtones, and you can figure things out so for anyone who's um say wants to shoot more at night with film and is getting into that world a little more like what would be what would you suggest in terms of starting out and to get to be able to get a feel and an understanding for for what the best way to work is
0: honestly and it's and it's not an answer that's going to be popular in the film world uh bring your digital camera yeah uh, like I, I've got an amazing Siconic L four seven O wiener, whatever it's called, like the worst <laughs> model names of things, but like the spot meter, right? Like yeah. the, the really good spot meter. It's garbage at night. Hmm. Like, unless it's a pretty well lit scene, it's like just shows an error half of the time or yeah. three quarters of the time or whatever. It's just, it, it's just not set up to do that. Um, so honestly, I I started out, I don't really do this anymore, but, um, started out shooting with, I would do test frames with a digital camera. And because often at night, um, you have, and this is part of what I, what I actually loved about shooting at night was, was that it's not like, like if you take a picture of a sunny day, everyone knows what a sunny day looks like and they know what the colors are in that scene. Sure. And if you overexpose it, everyone knows. And if you underexpose it, Everyone knows. And if the colors are different, everyone knows. But with night scenes, you have a lot more creative leeway with how you want to interpret that scene. No one else knows how dark it was. No one else knows how light it was. No one knows the temperature of the light that was there because it can be like like that horrifying yellow that just washes all the color away from everything or it can be you know like the new bulbs in calgary anyway they're all like super like daylight balanced it's very weird and uh so you have a lot of control with that and a lot of creative freedom and so your camera also like what it considers even exposure is not necessarily what you want that scene to look like like your eye knows what, and a camera knows what even exposure is on a sunny day. And, but at night, depending on where you are, you know, like an average meter of a scene that has like a street light in it. That's super duper, duper bright to black shadows. The the average of those two maybe is not where you want to be. Like you often have to make choices. Um, especially with film because you're not shooting like, like if you're shooting HDR stuff, maybe you have one shot that's at a 200th of a second for the streetlight, but then your exposure for the shadows is like two seconds. Like that's a massive difference in exposure, but then you're mashing them together and and whatever, but film, you're not necessarily doing that. Uh, So, so I used to use my digital camera to sort of generally figure out what I want the exposure values to look like in that scene. And then I would transfer those into the camera, into the on onto film. That generally works pretty well. Um, you can sort of assume that the film, especially when you get up to the bigger formats, for whatever reason, they absorb highlights better. Yep. And and generally, like, give it an extra stop or two stops, and you're not going to blow any highlights, and you are going to see more shadow detail for sure. So I learned how to interpret the relationship between that digital sensor. And the film uh, and also different films do different things as well. Um, But yeah, so like so figuring out how how to meter that and what I want it to look like. Um, And honestly, the light meter app that you get for your phone does a fantastic job at night and it will show you values like you can like with the screen. You can poke around to sort of spot meters in air quotes, spot meter the different exposure values on the different parts of the scene, but it will tell you, you're like, okay, this is, this is two seconds. This is four seconds. This is eight seconds. You can kind of average it in your head, but it will go down to like, it will tell you, Oh, it's, you need a three minute exposure here. And it's pretty accurate, way more accurate than, um, certainly than the spot meter, my expensive spot meter. Yep. Um, and sometimes like, I just don't want to wait for three and a half minutes with a digital camera to see what that's going to look (laughs) like. Yeah. Yeah. Um but it's it's yeah sort of it's just a matter of figuring out how you want that scene to look and then and now I, I get much better at i've gotten much better at sort of looking around a scene and figuring okay what what is that middle gray value and what what is a point that I can meter off of here, and I know that everything like I know that everything above this is gonna fall relatively within the that exposure range of whatever film I'm using and so are the shadows and so you know you get pretty good at like at just picking off that one spot and then i just go with that i don't i don't really take like i know some guys are super duper technical and they'll take eight different readings and uh and and then average all that out like i know like nick carver whoever does that and he's super technical it does it does really well for his work and i love his work a lot um but that's that's not what i do um, just mainly because I find that when you're doing spot meter readings, especially in the dark stuff at night, it, it doesn't really translate very well. So, so find that even spot in your scene. it works during the day too. And you can just find that even spot that, you know, that you want that to be properly exposed or often at night, I'm looking for like, okay, I want that, that to be one under and then everything else will kind of fall in, into those ranges. But it's important to remember what film you're using too. Like if you're, if you're shooting portrait 400 or you're shooting Velvia 50, you need to be thinking about very different things. Very different.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's, I think, I mean, well, hearing you say all that and I, I know it's like with anything in this kind of process, it's, it's, it's practice, right? Like it's, you've got to, you have to, you have to do things and you have to gain an understanding every time you do them. Um, But yeah, the nighttime is just a different beast and I haven't done a ton of night work. I have done some, but I know that like, all of a sudden, it can almost be overwhelming, right? Especially if you're spot metering because it's like, all of a sudden, it's like you take a reading here and here and here and here and here and, here and like the numbers are all over the place, right? And all of a sudden, you're like, which one, like, what's right. important? What do I, <laughs> so... but You're like,
0: that's 15 stops different.
1: <laughs> yeah. But I mean, pr- yeah, it's like with anything, right? Practice, do tests, you gain, a, you make mistakes, you get, you have disappointments um, and then you gain a better understanding. And I think...
0: And uh, also, that like that some scenes and this is more sort of in the last year or whatever that I've kind of realized this, some scenes are just not possible to take a good looking picture of. And you're like, okay, this is beyond the technical capabilities of the film that I'm shooting or the camera that I have, or, you know, beyond taking a bracketed seven shot HDR picture of this it's just beyond the limit of what I can shoot. It's like if you're shooting slide film, and you're like, oh, "Okay, well, where do I meter this?" If the building is backlit and it's really dark, but the sky is really bright, you're like, "Yeah, it's
1: just not gonna
0: there's work." No, answer. there's no answer there. Yeah. The, the answer is it's not gonna look good.
1: Well, and it's fu- it's funny you say that because it's like I think it's so easy to forget that at times. Like, there's been there, well, there's been night work, so I, I probably have like. Four or five night images that I'm really happy with. And then there's like yeah. a handful of others that I tried shooting that are just garbage. But then some of them are those scenes that you're talking about. And it isn't until like I stop and think about that where I'm like, why does this look so bad? And I'm just, and then I'm like, oh, it's because it just, it, it has nothing to do with my technique. It's just a bad. It's a bad subject and it's a bad image. You know, or it's you're like, like
0: I'm a, asking this film to have 20 stops yeah. of
1: exposure latitude. It's it's like a, a crazy bright sign against a pitch yeah. black background. And totally. it's like the sun, the, the background is black because it doesn't have enough light. And the sign is like blooming and completely missing detail. Cause it's too bright.
0: <laughs> right. And that's exactly <laughs> it. And it's like, yeah. the sign is bright. Like the day you're like, that is F8 at 200 yeah. and the background is going to be F8 at 20 seconds. You're like, so where do I go in the middle? There is no middle. There's no middle. Like, you can either take two shots and blend them together, or you can just say, okay, well, I uh, that's not going to work for me, and <laughs> I, uh, move on.
1: I think there's expectations sometimes. It happens to me all the time where, like, I'll look at images, just like images I shoot in the day that I'm not happy with, and I'm, like, kind of disappointed. I'm like... It's just a shitty image. Like it's my fault. Right. It's just a bad image, you know. But I had these expectations like the light, that bad, it was good. But you, yeah. But you the think compositions you can bad. It. You're like,
0: but I loved that scene. Yeah. Why does this picture look so shitty?
1: And it's like, no, nah, I just, I just took a shitty photo. That's all that happened.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and sometimes too, and, and like Raquel and I have been you know, shooting a lot lately, and some days you get interesting light. And the more I shoot, the more I found that like it doesn't matter. How cool of a fill in the blank it is. If the light is not interesting, it is not an interesting photo. I agree. And so to wait for that light, Raquel's really good at like waiting for the cloud to pass. Where I'm just like, I'll go on to the next building, or like I'll I'll move around and I'm like, okay, like can we go? Like we're <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 no. She's waiting for the sun to come back out and and the difference is remarkable the amount of who like, knew, uh? backlit or full shade <laughs> photos that i have of the same thing and then i'm like why does yours look so good I'm like oh because you're waiting for the sun like, damn it
1: you I think we'd, it. you think we'd learn these things
0: huh? yeah one would think yeah. one would think um, um, it takes a while but yeah
1: so the last thing i want to talk about uh before we wrap things up here is uh because I, I this i think this will tie in nice to kind of a subject that we talked about a little bit, but also something that I feel pretty strongly about. So you have this series called uh, Urban Landscapes, and yeah. you touched on it a little bit. So it's where you basically shoot these uh, two scenes. So you shoot, uh, say, like a, a building that is urban, and then you put it into like a rural landscape. So you're you're basically mm-hmm. um, merging two scenes and, and manipulating mm-hmm. and whatnot. And first off, they look amazing. So that's mm-hmm. one one thing that I love about them. Sec the the second thing I love about them is like. It's just such a refreshing take to see someone go and do something that interests them uh, purely for the sake of uh, enjoyment and 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 doing something that's unique, right? And and I guess kind of where I'm going with this is, you know, there's so much kind of buzz about like uh, manipulating photos in Photoshop or in the film world, you edit your film scans and all this stuff that is just so exhausting because. For me, I'm I and I, I talk about this quite a bit, but I'm like, just do any like do whatever like there's it doesn't matter, right? Like you can move yeah. sliders and make things look however they want. So I see you doing that work and I'm just like, uh, it's so liberating in a way because it's like the complete opposite of what like these people who are trying to put like can confine other people's, um, I guess, artistic vision. So how, how like where did that come from and, and how has that process been?
0: Yeah. And I kind of, and at first it was always, it, cause they weren't, they weren't globally well received. And and there are a lot of people, I still remember I posted one like early days, uh, you know, probably five years ago, there was a Facebook group called Alberta landscapes. And I remember I posted one that was like, it was like a barn and like the, in, it looked like the, I photoshopped like the insides instead of like the barn. It was like looking at a, a fee like a, or a city or something. Anyway, something it was, it was manipulated. And I got into like a heated battle with the <laughs> administrator of the group because he said that is not a landscape photo. And I'm like, well, if it's not a landscape photo. What is it? And, uh, I got ejected for, I got blocked from the group. (laughs) And that was always, that was sort of my turning point to being like, I will not that I'm like fueled by a hatred for the landscape group, but I was like, no, this is a thing. Like what I'm doing is a, is a, it's sort of its own thing. And it's, and it has merit. And, uh, and I always enjoyed the kind of the kind of thumbing my nose at the, the fact that I was using like four by five film that I was developing and and shooting and whatever and it was this well because they as you know they're like these film purists that are like if if it is a four by five film photo it needs to be a traditionally lit portrait or it's it like in any creative
1: video. endeavor right there's people right, who and are and like it's these super traditional purists right yeah,
0: yeah and you're like yeah but i'm gonna cut it out in photoshop and i'm gonna merge two of them together <laughs> and then their ears light on fire and they just So I I always kind of enjoyed enjoyed that aspect of it, but I also I really loved the the freedom that it gave me visually, like to be able to take because that's sort of the dream, right? Like you wanna you wanna build a scene that has all the elements in it that you want, and whether it's you know like how many times have you gone and take a picture of you know say like a Route sixty six gas station or motel, and there's a you know not interesting car parked out front. like, and you're a, like
1: well, a 2008 Honda Civic or something.
0: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right? Or you're yeah. like, oh, well, that ruins it. Yeah. And so to be able to create your own kind of images like that were was a very interesting thing. And and also in Calgary, I've sort of as I've been um photographing here more for the last uh whatever, five or six years. Um, and sort of as I learned more about the history and I've sort of develop more of a connection with the place you sort of i've always developed i've always had this connection with the kind of older traditional side of of calgary and there's a lot of um a lot of older buildings and structures and they from an architectural point of view are very different than ontario and uh i don't necessarily have like the the vocabulary to describe how it's different but the buildings are very different and and sort of how things are placed here are very different and and the general philosophy in Calgary is like bulldoze it and build a new shitty stucco version of it. Just put a new infill or apartment or condo development or whatever on top of this. If it's old, level it. And uh, so I've developed quite a collection now of photos of buildings that are no longer here. And uh, I remember that started with uh, this old convenience store on Center Street that I used to take, a picture, take pictures of. I probably have. Conservatively, two hundred pictures of this place. Is
1: it and the cafe? Uh,
0: it's the. It's not Deerhead Cafe. Oh, okay, that's, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, that's one yeah. of my other favorites. So I used to have these sort of three that I. There was Goff's Violin Shop. There was Family Grocery and there was Deerhead Cafe. And in my head, I sort of referred to them as the Sentinels. And they're like these three, and they were all pretty close together. So I used to sort of check in on them and see what was – and, you know, like one would get a different paint job, you know, after a month or a year or whatever. And then one day, I I drove past uh, Family Grocery Tree, and it's this very basic-looking false front uh, grocery store. Um, And then if you go around back, it's actually two old little tiny cottagey houses (laughs) that have this one front that connects the two of them. And then as I sort of post pictures of these things, I, I hear stories from the community that people are like, oh, that's where I used to go and get freezies when I was a kid. Or they used to sell flowers, too. Or it's a Korean couple that owns it. And all of the shelves are on rollers. And at night, they lock the doors and they move all the shelves out of the way and they ballroom dance in this convenience store. It's a store. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then one day I drove by there and it was an orange fence, which is I call it the, or- the orange fence of death. <laughs> And it here, it's usually could be anywhere from a month or two to six months. And then it's leveled and, uh, and family grocery, it was there. And then a week later I drove by and it was just a pile of rubble Jeez, and, and it was gone. And I remember thinking like, like I was pretty sad. I'm like, I'm like, this is a convenience store that you've been in once that you take pictures of from the outside. Like, why are you upset about this? And then sort of that's when I sort of developed this kind of connection to these places. And I sort of thought of these older buildings kind of as people and they kind of had this sort of identity and, uh, and that, you know, just left there to be demolished so that it can be replaced by some new townhomes is a pretty undignified way to end your life. And so the, the concept that I had, you know, again, you have all these crazy ideas when you're out taking photos by yourself at night all the time. Um, was that like, what if they were put out to pasture in a place that would be fitting to, um, you know, a building that has put in a hundred years of service and impacted all these people's lives, and and where would be a more dignified place to live out your years? And uh, which is kind of a wacky idea, but. Uh, so anyway, so I would, I would find these kind of landscapes that I felt for whatever reason, uh, paired well with these buildings. And then, so when I was out shooting, this is always sort of a project that has, that has run concurrently with everything else that I'm shooting. Uh, because I'm always looking for like interesting buildings that are kind of on their own, that are kind of isolated. And then I also always keep an eye out for landscapes that have kind of a not a stage in them, but a place in the Mm. landscape where a building could go. I love it. And so sometimes they're just like very, you end up shooting just lots of blank shitty landscapes (laughs) that because it's not like when you get the picture, you're like, yeah, it's a field and a sky and there's nothing else in it. And, uh, but after a while, like I, I had a few of those photos printed uh, in a show at resolve, uh, photo probably four years ago. And, uh, and actually I was in that show with Kyler Zeleny. Oh, no way. And, uh, George Weber and another guy named Greg Gerla. And it was, uh, so I had these three and, and, uh, I remember at the time, like George, who I mentioned before is like very traditional and whatever. And like, I don't, he didn't, he doesn't really like the, the Photoshop. Stop. Yeah, <laughs> um, just manipulating reality. I think is what he calls it.
1: And here you are coming in hot with your
0: uh,
1: hot, <laughs> you hot. Like, That's as exactly hot, as it really gets. hot as yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: But I think he's he's turned them now. You came to my last show, and we're uh, we're we're friendly now, and and whatever. But it, so it's it's been a bit of a journey with these. And my goal was always to do them really big, and uh, and so now. So the last show was all. First of all, it was those original ones were digital. And, uh, so that was always sort of a separate body of work to all my film stuff. And then I had this goal to like have it all be film for my last show. And so I had a show in February at, uh, at the edge gallery here in, in Calgary. And so there were 12 big prints nice. and, uh, and they were all like, there were, some of them were square and some of them were four by five aspects. So, but all around like 40 by 50 ish. And so really big. And so I knew I wanted to get them all drum scanned. Because at that level, like it's just beyond what my I have an old Epson 4990 flatbed scanner that is great for most things, but it, it, you can't get that kind of resolution out of them. And then to be able to process those drum scans from uh, Matthew Brooks who I mentioned earlier, I had to buy a new computer. Well, <laughs> was like the raw files of the of the uh, of the four x fives were like just over a gig each. Crazy! Wow. Before you start any layers, before you yeah. combine anything. And so my old computer just said, no, I'm sorry, we can't do this. And, uh, but I was really happy with, with how they turned out and they were all filmed. So talk about like matching all the different like film looks with one another. And, and, uh, and my goal was always to, to have these images be something that people look at. And, and this, this happened a lot. The, the first ones were, were more surreal and a little more over the top. And that was back in my sort of HDR days. So they were a lot. <laughs> and uh and these ones are a lot more subtle and and so a lot of the time people would just look at them and they're like oh that's a weird place for a store
1: well i've had to i've and, had, like, had to double make take the before. connection
0: that totally and you can and this is like 40 by 50 on the wall and like you know people this close to them you're like like the photoshop nerd in me is like good thank you
1: y- yeah like, that's all
0: <laughs> what i'm looking for here is like <laughs> that you don't notice that that's fake perfect and, uh, cause you can get pretty deep down the Photoshop rabbit hole with this, with this stuff and, and making it look real. But I always wanted them to look totally realistic and, uh, but kind of an elevated version of that. So some of them are a little more surreal than others, but, uh, but yeah, so it's, it's a project that I've been working on for years and, and kind of one that I'll always, I'll always keep kind of on the side burner if I feel like things work out for that, but.
1: Well, I, I, I love it, man. And, and it's, it kind of takes on a little bit of a new life hearing the backstory behind it. It just makes like it makes so much sense. This story of like your connection to these places and taking them after they've been demolished and giving them the resting place. It's amazing, and yeah, I think it's a uh, for anyone listening who hasn't seen them, definitely check them out. But I think it's such uh, almost an encourage like a, a an encouragement to other people to go and make their. Photos and make their art in whatever way is interesting to them or speaks to them or appeals to them, um, you know, without having any concern of like what people are going to think. Cause there's always going to be those people who think things should be done a certain way or done the way that they think is right. And, uh, right. you know, if, if you cared about that, those things wouldn't exist right now. Your, those images wouldn't exist. Right. And, yeah, and there's, su- and there's such a unique take. So like I am, that's a message that I'm constantly, trying to preach and even adapt myself. And that's not to say that I'm I I'm in a place where I'm creating my work based out of what other I'm, I think other people are going to think, but it's like, um, I think just being willing to, to go in whatever direction interests you, regardless of how it looks is super important.
0: Yeah. And I think that's, that is a great sort of takeaway message for everybody is just to, to find whatever it is that you are interested in. I get, you know, I still, I love Instagram for the community. Uh, and how accessible it makes people like whether it's, you know, I remember, you know, like we talked about earlier, like talking to Jason Lee and like, you know, he's a pretty, a pretty accomplished guy and like kind of a celebrity and, and to be able to like message him and have him message me back was really cool. And I get tons of messages from people and just saying, uh, you know, people like, what if I, you know, if I'm getting started, you know, I get a lot of gear questions and stuff because I love gear, but, um, but also like people just getting started and like how, What can I do to get started taking pictures? And my big thing is always find something that you are interested in taking photos of. Like, don't look at what other people are doing. Don't take portraits because people like taking portraits. Don't whatever. Find something as weird as you may think it is and take interesting photos of it. And like whether it's old stuff in an alley at night, whether it's piles or stumps or people in towns of less than a thousand people or beautiful sunsets, if that's what floats your boat. That's great for you. People love beautiful sunsets.
1: <laughs> yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. My my advice is uh, spend like two to three thousand dollars taking a trip out to the the desert to photograph an overflowing garbage can in the middle of some small town in Nevada. Bingo,
0: it's perfect. Bingo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but find what it is that you like that you like doing, and whether it's going on road trips or whether it's going on walks or. Uh, You know, going on a bike ride or your kids or whatever, because if you're not interested in taking in in what you're taking photos of, you're not going to do it.
1: Well, you might do it for a very short period of time, right? You might try and imitate because you think that you need to do something a certain way to get, you know, um, a reaction to it. But that's the the only way I think that you can, uh, I don't want to say survive long term. Well, that's kind of, I guess survive long term as an artist doing it in a way that uh you know fuels you is to make sure you're creating what you truly like right because you can maybe go six months or a year uh creating work uh that you think is going to be popular but you're gonna you're gonna burn out for sure
0: absolutely and and it's okay that there are times when you're not creating work either and i i i shot stuff at a pretty feverish pace for about five years um like probably shot more than most people shoot in their lives as photographers in those five years.
1: Well, according to your Instagram, 3,500 images. Well, yeah. And I mean, how many millions
0: of pictures I've actually taken, but like it, uh, and then in the last year, it's really, it's really tapered off. And at first, you know, you, you get down on yourself and you're like, well, I'm not, I'm not producing anymore. I'm not, I'm not going out and shooting very much. I don't find it. You know, I'm not as motivated to do it and you get down on yourself and, uh, And I think that's all part of the process, too, is just weathering that storm, realizing that like you're going to have times where you're where you're more inspired and less inspired. And like there are no artists in the world that are just that have like an endless, you know, fire hose of inspiration, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's not realistic, even if that's what it looks like on Instagram or whatever.
1: Well, I think we all for some reason like to believe that it's going to be this like linear path, right? I'm going to start and it's going to go this way, but it's just like all over the place.
0: Absolutely. And, uh, but, but no, but I'm, I'm still having a lot of fun with it and it's, uh, it's whatever keeps you interested as well. And like, I just, I just went out with, uh, my buddy Curtis Dez, who's a a great portrait photographer and he just got a film camera from his dad and uh, and he's like, I only want to do things now that are interesting and challenging. And so this is where I am. And so we started off with like, you know, literally like this is Ektar 100. The 100 means that it's 100 speed filming. (laughs) Oh, that's what that is. Yeah. Like starting from ground zero. But you know what? If that's what gets you interested in getting out there and taking photos. Fantastic. Fantastic. And like whether it's you love the gear or you love going for walks or you're passionate about overflowing dumpsters, (laughs) you know, whatever, whatever it is that gets you out there. Awesome. And there are a lot of people that are very negative about that too. That like, you need to have a project. You need to, um, you know, you need to do X, Y, and Z, and that's why you should photograph. It's no one else's job to tell you why you should take pictures. It's your job, and your job only to figure out what that is.
1: I agree, man, hundred percent. And I think it can seem really, uh, it can seem really kind of simple and small at times, in a sense that anyone who's a photographer we're, we're all doing the same thing we're using a camera to make a photo right but that's that's it other than that it's complete it's this massive huge opportunity uh, endless almost right that's the only similarity we all have you can take that in any direction you want and yeah. do a million different things with it so I think you know trying to trying to put uh restraints on that is one of the worst things that you can do
0: one well, and my my friend my sort of mentor Jack says to no effort is wasted and and whether that's you know effort in researching a different type of camera whether that's effort in the form of looking at a photo book whether that's effort in going for a walk and thinking you're going to take a picture and you don't actually take it yeah it's all effort and none of it's wasted and it's just yeah it's 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 so open to whatever it is that you want it to be
1: amazing well i think that is a really good way to end this um for anyone who wants to check out your work, what's the best place?
0: Uh, probably still Instagram has uh, has definitely the largest quantity of it. Uh, I have some limited projects on my uh, website. Um, still have to put some of the new urban landscape stuff up there. Uh, but yeah, that's that's probably the best place to, to see my work. So thanks for having me on, Kyle. This has been a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, yeah, amazing conversation, man. I'm super happy with where it went. And uh, thanks for doing this. Yeah, me
0: too. Okay, okay I'll talk to you later. Soon.
1: So I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Chris. I got to say, I really love uh, his thoughts and his approach uh, with his urban landscape series. And like I mentioned in the conversation, I think it's a really good example of following your creative ambitions, regardless of how you think they may be received. And I know I talk about that a lot, but I really do think it's important that we all embrace what makes us unique as it's really how we grow as artists. So just want to say thank you all again for listening. And as always, if you enjoyed the show, it would mean a lot if you left a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform until next week. Take care and we'll talk to you soon.